0: Uh, In the time that Jesus ministered again 2,000 years ago, the nation of Israel existed and it was divided into three very large sections of land, uh, kind of regions or provinces. There was Judea in the south, that's where the capital city of Jerusalem was. There was Samaria kind of in the middle and then way up in the north, kind of in the sticks, was Galilee. If you go way back to Luke chapter 4, really until the end of chapter 9, which we're slowly approaching, uh, Luke describes the earliest days of Jesus' public preaching and healing ministry, and it all takes place in this most northern region of Galilee. Jesus has been traveling, really, uh, throughout all of his ministry, throughout the villages and cities of Galilee. He doesn't really stay very long in any one place because, as he states in Luke chapter 4, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Uh, Let me invite Sheena forward now to to read these verses for us, but it's important for us to just keep that in mind, that preaching the good news of the kingdom of God is really central to Christ's purpose. Uh, Why he came was to preach this message. Sheena. Please join me for the reading of God's word, Luke 8, 1 to 3. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Shuzah, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us again. Father, thank you for feeding us with this bread, the bread of your word. ask that it would strengthen us. That would give us what we need for the journey ahead. Would you open now our ears, soften our hearts, so that we can hear what you're speaking to us through this word? We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. One of the great new words in my mind uh, in, in the last decade or so is the word adulting. It's really, you know, it's a, it's a fairly new word. Adulting, if you're not familiar with that expression, it refers to uh, the activities, the burdens, the responsibilities of late stage adolescence. Uh, uh, Young adults uh, are preparing for the joys awaiting for them as they get older. So that would include, adulting includes getting a job, paying your bills, doing taxes, doing your laundry, having to shovel snow, like not because it's fun, but because you have to. Uh, Going to bed early because you need to wake up early. These are all examples of adulting. Uh, You might have a mom and dad who really love you. But, but they won't and they shouldn't forever be doing these things for you indefinitely. It's not that they're not able to shovel the snow or to, you know, put food on the table for you, but a mom and dad typically wants you to mature, to grow, to become the kind of person that you're made to be. And I know for some of you, I might have shattered something very deep inside of you just now. <laughs> like, you thought, can't this go on forever? The answer is probably no. Sooner or later, you're going to have to experience for yourself at least some adulting. In Luke chapter 7, we encounter what you could call early Christian adulting or adulting. The disciples of Jesus, both the 12, which refers to the 12 apostles, uh, and a group of women who are following him, they begin to take on more and more responsibility in the kingdom. This is the process of maturation. They're beginning to do hard work for the kingdom of God. And and really, in a nutshell, if you were to look at these three short verses, um, this is how we would outline, and this is going to be our outline for the sermon this morning. Is what it is the good news of the kingdom of God is for the whole world and it's spread is the mission of the whole church Let me say that to you again The good news of the kingdom of God is for the whole world and it's spread is the mission of the whole church If you look at the first part of that outlined sentence, uh, the good news of the kingdom of God is is for the whole world. You can kind of see that in, in verse 1. We see what Jesus has been doing really throughout his, uh, his, his early ministry days. He's on the road, he's traveling, and he's preaching. He's preaching the message of the good news of the kingdom. There's an emphasis here that Jesus' work is primarily spreading a message. He's got a message to deliver. He's got news, he's got communication, something that must be verbally uh, shared and taught jesus isn't simply this traveling doer of good deeds or an example that we watch we don't really listen to we just imitate his way of living of course some of that is true but primarily he's got something to say he he has something that he wants us to hear and to believe if you look at verse one there's the double emphasis there of he's both proclaiming and bringing the good news that means literally that he's announcing he's heralding he's declaring he's speaking it Uh, what is the good news well, we've sung about it, we've thought about it, we've meditated already this morning. It, it never hurts to reflect on the good news more. And if you wanted to, to put it, again, in another nutshell, at its most basic, the gospel is God saves sinners. It's most basic, the good news, the good news of Jesus is that God saves sinners. Jesus is sharing this message, that through him, through his ministry, through his work, God is saving sinners. God so loved the world that he sent his son to be a redeemer, To be the one who would bring us back to him us who had been alienated from god distant from him because of our sin and our choices walking down the path of death instead of the path of life for those of us who have felt the weight of our wrongs or the wrongs that we've done ourselves if you feel like no one cares if you feel like you've got no no hope listen there's good news god saves sinners it's good news because jesus hasn't come for the people who have it all figured out the people who have it all together Rather, he comes for those who don't, right? He doesn't come for, for proud people, he comes for the humbled. He doesn't come for the healthy, he comes for the sick. He doesn't come for the righteous, he comes for sinners. Now, this is good news, but often churches become not places of good news, but of good advice, right? That adulting thing, maybe there were some parents in here who were like, yeah, my kids need to be in this room right now. But the church isn't primarily a good advice place, it's a good news place, right? Good advice is, of course, you know, helpful at times. Here are 10 steps to improve your life. Here are five habits to unlock the better you. But at its core, the church and the Christian faith is not about what you and I do, but about what Christ has done for us, something that we could not do on our own. At its core, the good news is not that I can become a better person, but that God saves sinners. But notice, if you look carefully at the text, Jesus' message here isn't just the good news, the gospel, it is the good news of the kingdom of God. There's actually more to this message, this very good message of God saves sinners. So what's the kingdom of God? What, what is this referring to? Well, sometimes if you're, if you're familiar with the Bible, you'll also hear the phrase the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew, in Mark, and in John, and elsewhere in Luke, Jesus will refer to the kingdom of heaven. And really the, this is referring to the same thing as the kingdom of god kingdom of heaven kingdom of god tie these ideas in your mind together but it's pointing to this the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of god isn't something that's simply personally transformational though of course it is that the good news of the kingdom of god is world transforming the good news is not something to just nest and nestle between your ears and somewhere deep inside of your heart, but it's something that is meant to go out into all of the world and to establish a new kingdom here and now, a new way of living. This is what we pray, hopefully regularly, in the Lord's Prayer. We prayed it this morning. We, we are praying for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so part of this good news Is that the good news isn't just for us it's for the whole world the good news of the kingdom of God is for the whole world we see this in the life of Jesus of course Jesus didn't just preach in one city he goes from city to city village to village he's always on the go after his crucifixion and his resurrection before his ascension into heaven Jesus will commission these same disciples who are with him now to continue to go out to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, but to go out to all people everywhere. This is what he says in, in Matthew chapter 28. It's often called the Great Commission, something that he commands his disciples to go with. He says to them, "'All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. "'Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, "'baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son "'and of the Holy Spirit, "'teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. "'And behold, I am with you always.'" even to the end of the age. This is what Jesus wants. This is what the good news that he's delivering is. It's being delivered to the whole world, a world that we just prayed for, that is is broken and bended by natural disasters, by war, by disease, by oppressive, foolish, rebellious governments. Jesus wants this whole world to know him, to love him, to be changed by this love for every man, woman, and child, every last tribe, tongue, and nation, to taste and see the goodness of this kingdom and this king. And in a world like ours where it's difficult to 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 look very far without feeling a certain kind of sadness that things aren't as they should be, this is meant to hit us as very good news. Now many people, many people reject god's rule they hear this message of good news and they, they don't hear good news they actually hear some something of a threat <laughs> because if jesus is king that means i'm not right if if god's kingdom is the kingdom that means the kingdoms of this earth are not and but but for those who hear and believe this message it really is the best news ever our king has died for us our king has risen our king will come again and so this brings us to the second part of our outline sentence The good news of the kingdom of God is for the whole world, but its spread is the mission of the whole church. The good news of the kingdom of God is for the whole world, and its spread is the mission of the whole church. I think most of us, most people who grew up in the church, some kind of Christian background, we love the idea that God loves his creation, that his kingdom, this kingdom of love and peace and hope, is being spread further and further out, And wider until one day thousands of years into the future who knows how long the whole world will experience his loving rule but the question is of course how do we get from here to there like what's that process look like and in verse one you see jesus preaching we know that's at least a part of this work jesus is preaching this message the message of the kingdom of god coming to invade the darkened places of our world Perhaps he's using the words of Isaiah 9. We know that was important to to shaping uh, the mission of the kingdom. Uh, We went through this uh, in our Advent series. Of course, it's memorialized in Handel's Messiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. This is, this, this is a, a tall order for the kind of kingdom that Jesus is bringing in. How will we get there? I want you to visualize with me for a moment the team that Jesus has surrounded him with, uh, him with here to kickstart his worldwide kingdom mission. Look at it in the text. He has surrounded him. His crack team, the people that he wants to usher in this great kingdom, are 12 of the most incredibly common men. Like, about the plainest, most average groups of guys that you get in ancient Israel, fishermen. Probably just cleaning their nets mere months before with their dad. A few of them were probably just day laborers. We know at least one of them was basically, he was a tax collector. He was a shill for the Roman Empire. Jesus is saying, we're going to turn this world upside down. Who's with me? It's a lady named Mary who was recently possessed by seven demons. Right? A, few, a few other women who also had evil spirits and were only known locally for being sick and infirm until they were healed by Jesus. What's going on here? Like, Who would you gather if you had this tall order of, of a worldwide kingdom to, to bring in? You know, to preach this good news of Jesus. Who would you want to be on your team? Like on the ground level to, to, to start up, to lay a foundation for all that was to come. I, I, I'm pretty sure I know who you'd choose because I would choose the same kind of people. It would be super competent people. Like mega gifted people. Articulate, charismatic, influential, connected people. You'd go through a few rounds of interviews. You'd have a real vetting process to choose the best possible candidates. And who does Jesus choose? Children. People who have come to him for help and healing, who have nothing to offer but can only receive. These are not great people that Jesus has surrounded himself. They they are small people. But like these women, they've all been healed by Jesus. They've all been forgiven much. And so they love much. If you know me, you know I love me some Lord of the Rings. So here's another foray into that world. It's of no coincidence that the writer J.R. tolkien chose as the center of his story the tiny simple unimpressive hobbits it wasn't a coincidence he did this intentionally it was them it wasn't the elves or the powerful kings who were both very impressive who would be the ones to change the course of history in middle earth tolkien was a faithful christian and he recognized that this was an important theme running throughout the scriptures this is how god always works to change the world with unimpressive people He starts with something as small and as insignificant as a mustard seed. And from there, he grows the biggest tree that's in the heavens. This is how Paul describes this as he writes to the first century church of Corinth. He writes to them, listening to this letter, Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is God's good pleasure to change the world, to bring his kingdom in. The good news of the kingdom of God is for the whole world, and its spread is the mission of the whole church. Uh, who is god going to use to bring the message and power of kingdom into halifax you guys that's that's his plan (laughs) he's going to use his little lambs his children his people back in luke 6 uh, we, we met the 12 disciples for the first time, so we'll kind of skip over them today. But really, for the first time, we get this close up look at the women who are following Jesus. This is an incredibly significant group of Jesus' followers. These were the women who stayed by Jesus at his, re- at his crucifixion when his other disciples fled. These are the women who cared for Christ's body and prepared him for burial. These are the ones who were the first at the empty tomb three days later, after his death, to witness his resurrection. And, and really importantly, these women, these, these same women, Joanna, Mary, uh, if you look way ahead to Luke chapter 24, after the resurrection, they were actually the first people in the whole world to spread the good news that Jesus was risen. They were the first ones to carry this message. These women actually aren't peripheral, but they're central to the spread of the good news of Jesus. And while they're not apostles, they're not one of the twelve, there's clearly a distinction between them, their role is essential. It is essential to the spread of the gospel look at the end of verse 3 they had an essential role early on as well and this is what it was Uh, they provided for them that is jesus and his disciples out of their means that is it it seems to be that they were financing in some way what they were doing they gave they helped keep the lights on uh, on this small operation they gave sacrificially uh, to the good news and, and to its spread None of them, it appears, was rich. Perhaps um, the wife of Husa or Chuza, who is ha- uh, Herod's household manager, might have had some means of wealth. But the idea here is that Jesus traveled on foot. He lived very simply. He didn't have a, you know, a book deal or another source of income. Uh, and he and the disciples, they had what they needed to go on uh, to proclaim and bring the good news of the kingdom of God because of the work of these women. And I think this is just an excellent picture of how the church is today still called to operate. Uh, not that don't read this into the story that women are only called to give money to the church <laughs> and men just get to do the talking, uh, but that the spread of the gospel is the mission of the whole church of every last single person, even though their roles might be different. I, I, I actually I came from a church background that sort of expected that every follower of Jesus would look the same. They'd be charismatic. They'd be energetic they'd be extroverted, that they would change the world with their words and enthusiasm. They, you know, They'd share their gospel with 10 different people every day, Just and that was the norm. And so unintentionally, without, without meaning to do it, probably, introverted, quiet, non-talkative people felt like lesser Christians, like they had nothing to offer the church or to Christ. They felt that the Great Commission, the work and mission of the church was for other people, not for them. You'd say, I'm not a big talker, <laughs> I'm not really good at going out there and sharing the good news, so I must be failing. And what this text shows us, I want you to see it, is that while the spread of the gospel is indeed the mission of the whole church, not everyone in the church has the same job. Like, all people don't do the exact same things. For example, the 12 disciples, their, their ministry was really unique. It, it's really unrepeatable in church history. They were called by Jesus himself to a really unique teaching, and healing ministry. The New Testament says that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. They set the tone and tenor for the church that was to come. There, of course, were other disciples of Jesus, other people listening to him and following him, other men and women, but these 12, they had a utterly unique calling, and God equipped them for it and gave them the spiritual gifts to do that. But would anyone say, should anyone say, that though these women weren't doing the exact same job of preaching and healing that the 12 disciples were doing, that they weren't involved in the same mission as them like that their work providing for jesus and the disciples out of their means um, was less important than the 12's work less spiritual <laughs> less pleasing to god the answer is no no not at all the spread of the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world is the whole church's mission it's for men and women for children, for pastors, for introverts, for extroverts, people who are great at connecting and encouraging people one-on-one, and people who like to do things behind the scenes, people who like big groups and people who don't like big groups as much. The mission requires the whole church, but the whole church will not always be doing the same job. One pastor uh, that I know, he compares this to an army. If you think of the army, think in military terms, If you're in the military, you know I'm going to get this wrong, so you can correct me afterwards. But an army's mission uh, in battle is, of course, to defeat the enemy army. That's their purpose. That's what they do. It's their main objective. Everybody that's part of the army, uh, they, they are focused on that mission. But it would be silly to think that the soldiers who are on the front lines, who are firing the guns, are more important than the ones, say, behind the front lines preparing weapons for the soldiers. Or those who are peeling potatoes in the mess hall. Or the ones who are involved in strategy and planning. See, listen, the whole army has the same mission. But the army is filled with different kinds of people, with different abilities, you know, different ranks and roles. But they're all trying to, together, advance the one mission. And, and that's a great picture of what the church is like. As a little side tangent... Uh, for my introverted friends out there, I know that you're there, uh, you're thinking, oh, thank goodness, that that actually relieves an enormous burden. That means I don't have to share the gospel ever. <laughs> the people with the mouths, they can do that. Someone in the church will do it. And I shared this analogy of the army with somebody else who was in the military, knew a little bit more than me. And they reminded me that while not everyone in the military is trained to the level of like a Navy SEAL, um, even the IT people in the military, they know how to use a rifle, right? They... they it's not their expertise, they don't spend a lot of time doing it, but they've all been through basic training together. They know what to do when push comes to shove. And, and this also seems to be the basic call for every Christian as well. Not that evangelism might be your daily specialty, um, your main thing, but as Peter writes in First in Peter chapter 3, he says, everyone, everybody in the church, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect this is the calling for again won't be your primary calling necessarily but this is something that you should be prepared to do the biblical version of this analogy that i've been using with the military is of course found in 1 corinthians 12 where paul describes the church's unity we're all together he describes us as one body the body of christ but within that unity there's diversity we are different parts of the one body Some of us are hands, others are feet, others are eyes, hopefully not too many mouths. And so so while I I don't know exactly who God has made you to be individually, I I, I might not be able to to put my finger on it, whether your mouth or a hand or a left kidney, if Jesus has rescued you, if he has brought you into his church, I can tell you something with absolute certainty that, that God has brought you into his church to help advance the mission of the church the good news of the kingdom of God. And so this morning, God may be calling you to some Christian adulting. Again, it, it's not that Jesus really, you know, needs your money or needs your energy or your... He, he, he's not required. He has all of the wealth in the world. He's the creator of wealth and energy and life. And yet, for your good, for the maturity of his people, he, he is drawing them into this as a good parent does. He wants you to take on more responsibility here at Christ Church Halifax to to use whatever gifts that he's given you to focus on the one mission of the church. God's calling you to give non-trivial time, attention, money, thought, prayer, and passion to the mission that he's given to his church, that he's given us here locally, here in Halifax. Uh, The spread of the gospel to Halifax and beyond. Are you inviting people out to, to church, to, to something like the Mark study? Are you volunteering here? Again, are you giving non-trivial time, money, prayer, attention to the work of the mission of this church, to, to pray uh, for the furtherance of the gospel here? Because something fundamental to the good news of Jesus that perhaps you know and you believe in is that it's not just for us here in this room. It, it must not be. It's the good news of the kingdom of God. So it's for the whole world and its spread is the mission of the whole church. Well, let's end with this, okay? Um, Not very long ago, Christ Church Halifax was was called Mission Halifax. That wasn't the name of our church. It was just kind of like a stand-in name until we were ready to kind of launch as as a church. We were called Mission Halifax. And, and that name was, was intentional because it reminded us that, that we were here in Halifax. We've started a church because we want to be part of this mission that Christ himself is on. Um, but importantly, it was a reminder of this, that you and I are only able to work and join this mission because Jesus Christ first was on a mission to rescue us. Uh, mission Halifax is Christ's mission before it's our mission christ loves halifax we, we are convinced of that uh, and and this church in my mind is evidence of christ's love for this city he has planted yet another uh, uh address of the body of christ to love and to go out to love neighbors and co-workers jesus is here with us today by his spirit in this church still extending his love and the good news of jesus um, that god saves sinners but how do we find the power how do we find the motivation to join with this mission, to stay on it. well, This is something I'm I'm convinced of. It it requires a lot more than good advice. (laughs) It it requires a lot more than me just haranguing you from up here every once in a while to, to make you feel shame and guilt. What Christians need in order to be on this mission is not just good advice. They need to believe good news. That before we're on mission, Jesus is. Before we speak to others, Christ has spoken words to us. Before we go, Christ came. That before we invite or host or befriend people desperate uh, for the love of Christ, Christ came to us in our sin, in our lostness, to invite us, to host us at his table, to befriend and to rescue us. Before this mission costs you or I anything, it cost Christ everything. It cost his life. And he was glad to do it because of his great love. And this is how 1 John puts it, and this is how we'll end this sermon. We love. Why do we love? We love because he first loved us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your great love. Help us to reflect on it, to rest in it, to rejoice in it, and may it transform our hearts. We ask that you would make Christ Church Halifax into Mission Halifax, that we would be people eager to see this good news which we love and find such hope and joy in, given, offered uh, to, to everyone we know. Lord, we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we ask that you'd help us to be um, people of your kingdom. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.